Hello and welcome to this latest installment of Barnards on the NBA. I'm your host, Matt Barnard, and I'm joined here by my son and co-host, Emilio. Hello! That's a very excited Emilio as we record on this Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're going to be discussing on uh, <laughs> on this podcast today, we're going to be continuing our discussion of the best lineups one could put together of NBA players based upon where they played in college and we're also going to dive into the uh, into the first round of action in the uh, Western Conference, a recap of that, and a look forward into the second round, which has already begun. But we'll uh, we'll give you some thoughts on uh, on, how, on how all that's going to play out. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be discussing the colleges of BYU and Baylor. As we do on these episodes, we take it position by position, starting at center, then power forward, small forward, shooting guard, and point guard. Without further ado, Mills, let's jump into it with BYU players. Let's start at center. Who you got? Sean Bradley. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Sean Bradley. This is one of the tallest players ever to play in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, solid player, block champion. Um, best block percentage in NBA history, I think. Um, yeah, I'm a very good player. Yeah, number two pick overall back in uh, the 1993 NBA draft. I think a uh, pretty interesting story because he played one year at BYU, then uh, went off on his uh, Mormon mission. Uh, Sean Bradley, a, uh, a Mormon, uh, was away from the game for two years and uh, came back and still was taken uh, number two overall uh, by the Sixers that year, who creatively uh, slapped a, a 76 uh, jersey on him. The man was seven foot six. Played on the 76ers and wore number 76. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and ended up having a, you know, not a, not a super impactful career, not an all-star level player at any point during his career, but as you mentioned, a real block artist. First in block percentage all time. Uh, led the league in blocks per game one year. Ninth all time in blocks per game for his career. And, uh, you know, had a, had a longer career than, than some of these extremely tall players. I mean, he got 832 regular season games in in his career. For sure, yeah. I mean, good player, 3.4 blocks um, to get the league leader, and 3.7, I think. No, four blocks, actually, the next season of the game, and that was his high in blocks again. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, th those, those are some impressive block numbers uh, throughout his career. Actually, uh, born in Germany, uh, part of a military family, and uh, also had a German uh, citizenship. Ended up playing on uh, German national teams with uh, young Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki uh, early in his uh, yeah. in, in his career. He actually played with Dirk uh, on the Mavericks as well. Yeah, later on in his career, that's a really good point. All right, so uh, yeah, Sean Bradley. I had him at my center spot as well. I think pretty clear cut uh, choice here among the uh, options for BYU. Who'd you have at power forward? I had Jim Eakins. Tell us a little bit about uh, Jimbo, as he was known. Um, One-time All-Star, two-time ABA champion. I mean, good player. Good player, I mean, I guess. Yeah, solid. A pretty solid player. I mean, capable of putting up uh, as many as 15 points per game uh, at the peak of his powers with the uh, Virginia Squires back in 72-73 uh, in the ABA. As you mentioned, uh, an All-Star with those Squires uh, back in the 70s. Uh, yeah, I mean, not a not a super notable career, I, w I wouldn't say, but I mean, a guy who managed to uh, play 767 professional games across mm -hmm. the ABA and NBA during uh, the course of his time in pro basketball, nine years yeah. or so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, played from age uh, 22 to age 31 or thereabouts, and uh, yeah, six foot eleven guy, yeah. so pretty big. I mean, you know, played yeah. center and power forward. Yeah, a um, little bit. I think we're pushing him a little bit into power forward, but. There's a lot of big men on these squads. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, BYU seems to definitely trend toward, uh, you know, having more big men make it to the NBA than, uh, than smaller guys. Even though their best player is a guy. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know quite what you're uh, what you're referring to, but uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do know what you're referring to. Okay. So let, let, let's keep moving in that direction right now and uh, go to a small forward. I had Jim Eakins at my power forward spot, too. I had Mel Hutchins. You know, this might even be a little bit more of a stretch in terms of uh, positionality, but tell us a little bit about Mel Hutchins. Yeah, four-time All-Star, rebound champion, and rookie of the year. I mean, rebound champion in his rookie year, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, came right out of the gate and was, was a monster. I mean, 13.3 rebounds per game that first season, uh, pretty impressive. I mean, that's, uh, that's a really good work out of him on the uh, Milwaukee Hawks back then. Um, 
talking about Hutch here. I mean, this guy, uh, brother-in-law of uh, Ernie Vandeweghe and, uh, you know, uncle of uh, the legendary 55 wearer Kiki Vandeweghe, who we just discussed in our UCLA episode. Yeah. Yeah. So what else can you tell us about, uh, about, about Hutch? I mean, he, uh, he, you know, was taken by the uh, Tri-Cities Blackhawks back in uh, 51 and, um, you know, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty solid NBA career. Yeah. I mean, not great, but okay. I mean, only played um, that six years in the league. So not that much career, but. Yeah. Most of that with the uh, Fort Wayne Pistons um, has his number retired by BYU, number 14. So a pretty pretty solid uh, pretty solid NBA contribution. Obviously came into the into the league when um, you know the league was still really really young. I mean fifty one. You're talking about the extremely early days of the league, and uh, you know was one of those players who was uh, getting a lot of run during those years. I mean was up uh, thirty nine minutes or above in uh, his first four years in the league. So you know didn't rarely left the court. Yeah, um, second pick in the draft. Second pick in the draft, exactly, and and won uh, what was apparently a uh, an unofficial uh, rookie of the year award back in fifty one fifty two. Something uh, about the way that uh, that that awards were given at that time was uh, was unofficial. That that that's how I've seen it. How I've seen it listed. Apparently, uh, newspaper writers uh, uh, came up with that award, but it wasn't officially recognized by the NBA yet. So he's uh, it, it's on Basketball Reference. Uh, shout out Basketball Reference, we love you. Uh, but yeah, he's. Um, it's the unofficial rookie of the year from 51-52, not officially uh, authorized by the NBA. There's a little star next to it on basketball. That, that's exactly why. It's because it's uh, not quite an official award in the same way that some of the other ones are, as uh, sanctioned by the NBA. All right, well, that's probably enough uh, Mel Hutchins' uh, unofficial uh, rookie of the year <laughs> award discussion uh, for right now. Let's that was some more right there. <laughs> it was, and, and, this, and this still is more of it right now. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, to shooting guard. Mills, uh, th- this is the man who uh, I think you were referring to as the best BYU player of all time. I do agree with you. Um, Danny Ainge. Yeah, he's a, he's our shooting guard. I think he could fit a point guard, too. Tell us a little bit about Danny Ainge. Obviously, oh still a major presence in the league. Wow. Um, Mel Hutchins was a four-time officer, and Danny Ainge was only a one-time officer. But he had more competition then. But, um, yes, very much so. Um. Yes, one-time All-Star, two-time NBA champion, and actually general manager of the Boston Celtics right now, right? Absolutely, and has been for uh, for some time and uh, has had a lot of success in that role. Also, very notably, a baseball player, Danny Ainge, actually made the major leagues with the Blue Jays. Uh, played not a ton of time, but, I mean, 211 games from yeah, 1979. Yeah, two home runs during that time. I mean, not much of a hitter. I mean, you know, didn't accomplish a ton in the major leagues on the baseball field. But just having made the majors and having been a professional basketball player and a high-level one at that, pretty impressive. I mean, like, it's a very rare feat. He also played football in college. Yeah, I mean, quite an athlete. I mean, clearly, his his uh, reputation and uh, his his performance and uh, employment history, frankly, speak for themselves. And has done a really great job with the uh, Boston Celtics as uh, general manager over the course of his tenure. Has been uh, GM now of the uh, of the Celtics for for quite some time, and um, you know was responsible for putting together that team that won the two thousand eight title uh, with uh, Kevin Garnett and uh, Ray Allen around uh, Paul Pierce and the rest of that core there that existed in Boston. And Rajon Rondo. Yeah, very much so. And, I mean, just an an extremely impressive job, you know, getting the Celtics back to where they are right now. I mean, I think that trade that he made with the – with the Nets to uh, you know steal all those first round picks from from the team in exchange for uh, Garnett and Pierce, uh, really I mean looked amazing at the time and has really paid off for the Celtics over the course of. Uh, what do you years. mean looked amazing in which way? I know it looked amazing for the Celtics. I mean, uh, from my perspective, it was pretty clear that they were trading some you know old veterans. I mean, you know, guys who you know weren't going to push the Nets over the top for a fantastic package, one that was going to benefit the uh, the Celtics for a long time as the Nets bottomed out. And that's, uh, you know, very much how it happened. I mean, I don't see all these things coming, but that one was uh, seemed pretty obvious to me at the time and uh, has worked out wonderfully. I mean, and, you know, not only that, but I mean, making the trade for um, uh, Jason Tatum, you know, moving on from that, uh, from the number one overall pick, trading Markel Fultz, 
and uh, and you know getting the three pick and Jason Tatum obviously getting the much better player there as well. So he's had some some real master strokes during his time as general manager. But let's focus a little bit on his uh, on his playing career too because he he was a really good player. Yeah, I mean, 11.5 points per game for his career, one-time All-Star. Um, yeah, good player. I mean, good shooting guard and point guard. Um, played a long time. I mean. Yeah, I definitely played a long time, and notably, I mean, played on some really good teams. I mean, 193 postseason games uh, yes. in, in his career. So, I mean, you know, part of, of teams that made deep runs. I mean, obviously, those Celtics teams with whom he won championships in 84 and 86 – that's early in his career. But, but also the Suns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, also, also the Suns. I mean, you know, coming off the bench and, and playing a real role for uh, for another team that got to the finals. So Danny Ainge, you know, really good player. And, um, you know, probably pretty clear cut, actually, the best uh, player out of BYU in terms of his overall contributions in the league. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I, I had him at my uh, three spot, excuse me, my two spot as well. Uh, let's move on to the point where a little bit less accomplished of a player. Um, Jim Fredette. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Jim Fredette. I mean, I, I remember this guy playing in college. He was a, a major phenomenon when he was in at BYU. He was super good. Woo. You mean at, at, at BYU? Yeah, especially his uh, his senior season. Yeah, I mean, uh, twenty eight point nine points per game. This is in forty minute games. Let's remember. I mean, he's, we're talking about college basketball here. Averaging almost 29 points per game. It was first team All-America in college that year. Definitely one of these guys who was constantly in discussions for a National Player of the Year candidate. And, um, you know, even though it never really translated to the NBA, I mean, you know, as a 6'2", 195 guy, I mean, had, you know, size where, you know, could plausibly have worked. Um, you know, never had uh, never had an NBA game. Yeah, it's unfortunate because he only averaged um, – um, he, yeah, um, the draft that he was in, I mean. Oh, you're talking about the, the 2011 draft. Yeah, so he was taken 10th uh, overall in that draft. And tell us a little bit about what uh, what some teams passed up in, uh, or what the Kings passed up in taking him. Yeah, I mean, Kyrie went number one. Okay, fine. And his Cantor, like, went number three. Fine. But, like, when you go later into that draft, I mean, number 11, Clay Thompson. Number nine, Kemba Walker. Number fifteen, or number sixteen, Nikola Vucevic. Number nineteen, Tobias. Number twenty-four, Reggie Jackson. Number thirty, Jimmy Butler. And then number fifteen, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, a lot of missed opportunities there. And then also number six, um, yeah, uh, number sixty, Isaiah Thomas. So right. Like, yeah, and number 55, each one more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, so, like, number 31, Bojan Bogdanovic. And also, the beginning of that draft was pretty bad. Yeah, it, like, the top eight picks were pretty bad, but then it just got super good. Yeah, there were some fantastic picks a little bit further down the board uh, that year. I mean, obviously, Kyrie at the top, but, yeah, I mean, some disappointing – Players. I mean, you know, useful players in like Tristan Thompson, Jonas Valanciunas. But anyway, this is we're doing our uh, 2011 uh, draft podcast right now. I feel like, uh, but uh, definitely uh, uh, a, a misstep in taking Jimmer as high as uh, as he ended up going. Uh, in retrospect, I mean, you know, an exciting player. I think a guy who was really popular and who um, you know was hoped could sell some tickets, maybe you know, get people excited, uh, wanted to come out and and and, and see him and uh, you know root for him. But, um, yeah, didn't really have it in the NBA. I mean, managed to hang around for a while. So, I mean, you know, you got to give him some credit there. Um, as an undersized guy whose game really wasn't suited to the NBA. I mean, but a guy, guy who really needed the ball in his hands and didn't shoot it well enough in the league. Yeah, I mean, okay player, I would say. Yeah, I mean, ended up, you know, shooting 37% uh, from three in his career. But, I mean, just never could get the kind of volume. 100% field goal percentage in his second. Um, oh, he actually took a break for like a couple of years, um, and from fifteen sixteen to eighteen nineteen. Well, he he played uh, he played in China during that time on the Shanghai yeah. Sharks, so that, that's where where he was during those years. Um. Uh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. He was one hundred percent from the field. Um. 
what um on the next one yeah where he took um one shot yeah during a, a partial season in 2015-2016 glad, glad you chased that note down all right so why, why don't we uh we'll get to some other players from byu we want to discuss but let's just go through uh, our starting lineup here one more time we have the same one. yeah um center sean bradley power forward jamaican small forward Jim, mel hutchins shooting guard danny ainge point guard Jim yeah, that's great. So let's uh, let's talk about a couple other oh, that's guys. That's yours, right? That's what's mine as well. Yeah, let's talk about a couple other guys from BYU. Who, I mean, I just uh, say I already know this. Um, he has the same lineup for the next team too, as well. Great. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Devin Durant, a BYU yeah. attendee. Now, this guy's name sounds pretty familiar. He's like uh, this guy's KD? DD, right? Might be like um, KD or something. Yeah, yeah. Sounds pretty similar to Kevin Durant. Tell us a little bit about Devin Durant. Yeah, I mean, wasn't great in the league. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, played 63 games. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, five points per game during that time. Not really the same kind of three-point shooter that uh, that Kevin Durant ended up being. I mean, I know it's, it's tempting to compare the two, but uh, Devin Durant only uh, 0 for 3 on, on three balls. Yeah, too bad for him. But um, 300 points one year, exactly. So, nice. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that, that that's pretty cool. Ended up uh, going to play uh, play overseas as well. Played in, uh, in in France on Olympique Antibes. Olympique Antibes. Uh, I considered uh, my point guard spot in the place of Jimmer for dead, potentially throwing Jeffrey Congdon. Now you might know yeah. this guy as Mutt. A- any, any thoughts on uh, Jeffrey Poor Congdon? Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> a classic Jeffrey <laughs> nickname. Jeff, that is. Um, <laughs> Any thoughts on Jeffrey Condon? Did you think about him at all? Um, I actually didn't, but um, not that much thoughts on him. Just an NBA player for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> ABA really. I mean, for, for Jeffrey Condon, played 306 ABA games um, during his uh, professional career, wrapped it up at uh, age 28. So, uh, oh. hey, you know, I mean, uh, we, we all have different, different priorities, and I guess it was time for Jeffrey Condon to uh, – to hang him up at that point. Fortunately, he's still with us, so we can maybe uh, check in with him at some point in the future. How old is it? I wanted to also mention Rafael Araujo. Now, this uh, <laughs> this guy, I remember, he went pretty high in the draft. I mean, he was uh, number eight, eight overall pick in, in 2004. Um, and uh, definitely stands out to me as someone who uh, wore number 55 uh, exclusively during his career. Played just a couple of seasons with the Raptors and with the Jazz. But... Uh, Never yeah. stop repping that double nickel. Yeah, and um, the draft that he was taken in, I mean, one pick after Andre Godala. No, one pick before Andre Godala. So that one was the, the Raptors could have selected Andre Godala, but instead chose Rafael Araujo. Yeah, I mean, not a great draft, actually. No, it was pretty weak uh, overall, but, I mean, definitely some useful players if you uh, if you consider. Tony Allen. Tony Allen. 25th. Josh Smith, if I must say. Um, uh Al Jefferson, to be sure. I mean, who went afterwards? Delonte and West, all Kevin these Martin. guys who we mentioned has gone after the eighth pick. So J.R. Smith as well. Anderson Barrage. I mean, there are quite a few players who uh, contributed at a substantial level in the NBA afterwards. Now, uh, I also wanted to mention uh, Greg Kite. Now, uh, I don't know if you looked into um, this guy at all. Yeah, just um, another mention on that draft. Um, yeah. Uh, Trevor Ariza, I think, went in that draft. Yeah, he did. He, he went uh, considerably further down, number 43. Yeah, and they should have picked him as well. Um, but, yeah, Greg Kite. Um, so, uh, two-time NBA champion, that's really. Yeah, he was uh, part of part of some Celtics teams early in his career, was uh, drafted by the Celtics uh, back in 83. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's okay. Kind of a classic uh, few minutes you know, backup center off the bench, doesn't play every game type. Um, you know, obviously had some years in his career, like in the uh, early days of the Magic in uh, 1991 when he found himself on, uh, on on that squad where he started every game, but for the most part a, a backup center type. And I think really uh, kind of another example of uh, the kind of player who seems to have attended BYU and made it to the league, right? I mean, a lot of bigs. Yes. And we were looking for, uh, for an, another option at the three, where we ended up, both of us, putting uh, Mel Hutchins a little bit out of position, but he kind of makes as much sense as anybody because he's a 6'8 guy and uh, actually played a bunch of quality minutes in the league. 
But you're I looking mean, at uh, at guys like John Fairchild, who uh, played yeah. small forward. I also wanted to mention Fred Roberts. Yeah, let's uh, let's mention him quickly as well. He one of the uh, leading minute players from uh, BYU all time. Yeah, I mean, solid player, I guess. Seven point three points per game for his career. Played wide in the league. I mean, yeah, like thirteen years. Yeah, a teammate of uh, Danny Ainge and uh, Greg Kite when he was in college. That was probably a pretty quality uh, BYU team with uh, three NBA players on the squad. All right, so uh, do you have anything else you want to get to on, uh, on on BYU here, or should we move on? I think I'm talking about everybody. All right, great. So we'll take a quick break here, and we'll be back in just a moment to discuss Baylor. Now we're back to uh, get into our discussion of players who attended Baylor. Mills, let's start at center. Who you got? I got Brian Skinner. Yeah, tell us a little about Brian Skinner. I mean, I remember this guy had a pretty distinctive beard. Yeah, I I don't feel like he's very good, but not that much um big man talent, I would say, here um at Baylor. Um, yeah, four point seven points per game for his career. Actually, zero point zero in his last two years. Which he only played three games in his last two years. Well, I mean, that's you know small sample size. But still, he got scored once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he didn't, he didn't play very much during that time. I think it was like ten total minutes during those uh, final two seasons in the NBA. But uh, yeah, I mean, like really, I mean, distinctively a backup. I mean, without any question. Um, but you know, a guy who hung around for a while in the league. I mean, six hundred and eight career games. I'm always kind of impressed by these players who uh, managed to hang around as veterans. I mean, he he showed up in the league until he was 35 years old. Yeah. Obviously, he was doing some things right if uh, teams kept giving him a job after uh, all this time, even just to hang around on the bench. Yeah, I mean, um, 49% field goal percentage for his career. Yeah, I mean, that's fine for, for a big man. Obviously, not a three-point shooter of any kind at all. 0.0 um, for his career. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, <laughs> not a three-point shooter, but, I mean, that wasn't his game. I don't think he even attempted any. Just a, uh, just a big man. Um yeah, he was two for six in his career on, on three. So he actually had one season where he was two out of two for three. He was popping. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He wasn't zero. But it was point zero for his career. It was 33%. Yeah, just took very, very few shots. Um, yeah, so, I mean, not, not a ton to say on, on Brian Skinner. Just a, uh, you know, classic uh, backup center power forward type who uh, hung around the league for, uh, for quite some time. Yeah. I, I had him at center as well. I mean, he's, uh, as you mentioned, not a ton of center options on this uh, team. Talking about uh, B-Skin. Yes. Who'd you have at uh, power forward? I had Torian Prince. Yeah, this is a, a currently active player. Tell me a little bit about Torian Prince. Yeah, I mean, good player, I think. I mean, he's, he's a higher career high than Fred Van Vliet. A higher career high than Fred Van Vliet? Yeah. Really? That's uh, that's interesting stuff. What's yeah. uh, what's Torian Prince's uh, career high? Thirty-eight, and Fred VanVleet is thirty-six. It's it's impressive. I mean, he's he's had uh, moments in his career where he's gotten a lot of run. Uh, has played pretty extensively in his career so far. I mean, started uh, two hundred out of his two hundred and sixty games during his career. Has averaged mm-hmm. over twenty-six minutes per game. So definitely a guy who's gotten a fair amount of run after being taken with the twelfth uh, pick in the twenty sixteen draft. Yes. Uh, and only 26 years old right now, so very much in the midst of his prime. And uh, we'll see what he's able to accomplish with uh, with this Nets team going forward. I know he signed an extension with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, accomplished in college and, uh, yes. and and you know, still very much in the midst of his career. I would say more of a uh, of a small forward than a power forward. Yes, for sure. But uh, on this team, I think he slots in best at the four. Yeah, I think that's what he's going to play with the Nets, maybe. Yeah, I think, he, I think he might Back too. up small forward, maybe. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, we'll, we'll see if he, if he sticks around with the Nets. I mean, you could yeah. see him being moved in a trade or something like that, too. So, be interesting to see where his career goes. I've actually noticed that he's uh, now going by the name Torian Waller-Prince. So, he seems to have added a component to his, uh, his professional last name. We'll have to see if that shows up on the uniform next year. Yes. That'll be interesting. We'll have our eyes yeah. open for that. Um, let's move on to, uh, to small forward. Who do you have there? I had Terry Teagle. Yeah, I had Terry Teagle as well. Let's uh, talk a little bit about Terry Teagle. Not a guy who uh, I remembered very well prior to uh, this exercise. I didn't know even that he was a real player, but um, yeah, solid player. I mean, 11.6 points per game for his career. Um, Yeah, I mean, played 
bunch of years in the league, 10 years in the league, two years overseas. Yeah, I think uh, most well-known for his time with the uh, Warriors, ended up yes. uh, playing quite a few games with them, uh, 378 of his or 687 career NBA games. Uh, played a bit overseas as well. Um, I meant to mention during the uh, Brian Skinner discussion moments ago that he went on to play for uh, Italian team Benetton Treviso uh, after his NBA career right around the end of it. Yeah. Interestingly, Terry Teagle also played for Benetton Treviso, so perhaps some sort of Baylor-Benetton-Treviso connection. Maybe. He actually played 82 games in five seasons. Not all in a row, but three of them are in a row and two of them are in a row. So. Yeah, pretty impressive. I mean, he had a couple of years where it looks like uh, he had some injury impact. Uh, you know, yeah. a year where he played only 19 games, or rather only 21 games, and, and one two later years. in his career. Two years that he only played two games, so. Yeah, I think one of those is a partial season, but yeah, they um, he uh, he he definitely was able to to get out there on the court, played uh, you know, substan- I mean, got some substantial run. I mean, at, at his peak, I mean, up around uh, you know, twenty nine minutes per game, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, a, a useful player. I mean, a guy who, uh, who who fits at small forward on this uh, on this squad has the right kind yes. of size, six five, one ninety five. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you want to move on to the guard. Yeah, sure. I, I so I had Terry Teagle as well, uh, yes. to be clear. Um, yeah, let's move on to, to shooting guard. Let's get to uh, your pick there, Mills. Yeah, I have Benny Johnson. The microwave. You search for uh, the microwave on uh, Basketball Reference or on Wikipedia. You're going to get the page, the Benny Johnson. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, microwave. I mean, two time NBA champ, microwave, VJ, who, Mookie. Some cool nicknames from uh, for, for this guy who was a seventh overall pick in the 1979 NBA draft out of Brooklyn, New York, by way of Baylor. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Vinny Johnson's game. This is a uh, two-time NBA champ on the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I mean, you can really fill it up. I mean, one year where he had the shot to win the final. Yeah, exactly. I mean, down the end of uh, of, of that, that second uh, championship season against the uh, Blazers, Game 5, it was Vinnie Johnson himself knocking in an off-balance jumper over uh, Jerome Kersey to uh, give the Pistons the margin of victory and win them their second straight championship. Yeah. Pretty glorious. I mean, like, that's one of the uh, one of the, one of the best things you can do in, uh, in basketball, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, notice the microwave because of its ability to get real hot real quick. Actually, uh, given that moniker, as our research has turned up by uh, Danny Ainge, previously mentioned in this episode, a guy who went up against Vinnie Johnson a whole bunch in his career, and uh, Pistons legend. I mean, his uh, number 15 retired in his honor by, uh, by the Pistons. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure a guy I would have loved uh, watching if yes, uh, sure. he had been around, or if I had been around, rather, as a Piston fan. And I bet you would have loved that the Pistons were doing so well all the time. Yeah, it would have been a lot of fun, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't become a Pistons fan until after the uh, Bad Boys era had already wrapped up, and there were only the the remnants remaining. Uh, but Vinny Johnson, a uh, certainly a credit to uh, to New York City basketball and uh, Baylor basketball and Pistons basketball, all those. Uh, so yeah, a, a great choice here, and uh, one of the better players I think from uh, from Baylor. Yes, for sure. I think he might be the best all time. Yeah, I think you might be right. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, our point guard. I had yeah. uh, I had Vinny Johnson as well, of course. Who do you have there, Mills? I had David Les- Wesley. Yeah, I remember David Wesley from his uh, his playing career. Tell us a little bit about what you uh, came across on David Wesley. Yeah, um, interestingly, I just noticed that um, his Wikipedia page picture is like a little bit blurry. <laughs> Yeah, somehow it doesn't seem like incredibly relevant to a discussion of David Wesley, but <laughs> an interesting sidebar, I suppose. Anything about David Wesley's like basketball playing that like stood out to you in, uh, in yeah. looking into him? Um, yeah, I mean, two twenty twelve point five points per game for his career, but got up to like sixteen point eight points per game in his, at the at his max, but only averaged three point one points per game in his first season. I mean, played nine hundred forty nine career games. I mean, forty-two point four percent field goal percentage, um, and yeah, I mean, only one point three point two field um, three point field goals attempted per game, but at thirty-six percent from back there. Yeah, so that's I mean, really solid shooting. I mean, you know, 
obviously, uh, you know, the lower attempt numbers, more a remnant of the era in which he played um, than, you know, his skill level necessarily. I think the the 37% shooting from three, uh, an indicator that perhaps he could have done more with more volume from there. But, um, you know, you mentioned didn't play much at the beginning of his career, actually an undrafted uh, free agent um, out of Baylor. But, uh, you know, went from that to, you know, having played the most uh, minutes all time of anyone from Baylor. So pretty impressive work out of uh, David, David Wesley getting a, a long career, 949 regular season games out of, uh, out of his, uh, his career. So, I mean, yeah, pretty I mean, impressive stuff. Played for like 13 years. Long time. Yeah, absolutely. And he, uh, he you know, worked some in, uh, in, in TV for the, uh, for the Hornets uh, down in New Orleans and, um, has uh, yeah, I mean, I, I remember him being being a pretty solid uh, starting player for, uh, for for quite some time. I mean, seven hundred ninety six career starts. Yeah, I'm um, so, sorry about that, but um, actually seventeen point two points per game is max. Yeah, so I mean, you know, at, at that point in his career, I mean, he's thirty years old. He's with the Hornets. He's playing thirty eight minutes a game. He's scoring seventeen point two points per game. He's solid. That's a pretty solid NBA player. Yeah, I mean, he, he really made something of his career. And uh, yeah, I had him too. I mean, I, I think you know when you look at Baylor players, he's uh, he's right up there. Yeah. Let's uh, run down our starting lineups once more, and we can get to a few other players we want to mention who attended Baylor. Um. Yes. Um. Center: Ryan Skinner. Half forward: Torian Prince. Small forward: Terry Teagle. Shooting guard: Vinny Johnson. And point guard: David Wesley. Great. So let's uh yeah let, let's let's keep it moving here. I had the same team. Uh, to clarify, let's talk about Michael Williams. Yeah, I know you wanted to say something about him. I don't know what it is, but go ahead. Well, he was uh, uh, NBA champ uh, early in his career, actually, with the uh, same Pistons team we were just uh, just referring to. Yeah, actually, an all-defense team as well. Vinny Johnson, yeah, made an all-defense team, so you know, impressive in those uh, two areas. Holds the NBA record for most consecutive three free throws made with 97. Interesting wow. note about Michael Williams. Yeah, 97? actually, nine. Are you surprised it's that low for most consecutive free throws made? Oh, consecutive. In a row. That's without a miss. Did that over, over uh, parts of two seasons, uh, you know, the end of one season into the next. Uh, but if you count them all up, 97 in a row. So that's pretty impressive. And that, that record has uh, held up since he uh, attained it all the way back in he uh, to 93. Well, I'm sure he would have liked to. <laughs> I sure he would. <clears throat> yeah. Any other notes about Michael Williamson? He was a pretty good player. I mean, I know didn't have like an incredibly long career, only 413 regular season games, but pretty impactful. I mean, got up to a point where in his mid twenties there at age 24 to age 27, he was starting a whole lot, averaging in the teens and in, in points, but his assist numbers were pretty nice. I mean, up there over eight, I mean, for a couple of seasons. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, was really turning it on there until, uh, you know, he really fell on hard times due to injuries. I mean, you know, after those four seasons, really, I mean, played a season where he only played one game, then nine games, then missed an entire season. (laughs) Yeah, he did did start that one game that he played in the 94 95 season. But yeah, his career, unfortunately, uh, taken out by by injury. But um, yeah, he looked pretty good there for a little while. Yeah, I mean, good player. Yeah, definitely. 11 points for Gambrose. 413 regular season games. Yes, indeed. Let's also talk about uh, Royce O'Neal, probably the most relevant uh, current Baylor player. Yeah, I mean, good player in the playoffs. Definitely. An important member of this uh, current Jazz team, another guy who was undrafted out of Baylor, but is is making an impact. I mean, you know, still very much in the, the meat of his career right now at age 27, having just turned 27, just played his age 26 season, wrapped it up with the Jazz a guy who gets a lot of uh, key defensive assignments in uh, in jazz games, a lot of these wing players, uh, you know, that terrorize the West and the NBA in general. I mean, Royce O'Neal is the guy who's uh, d them up, at least for, for you know, significant portions of, uh, of these matchups. Yeah, and big meal. His, uh, his nickname, yeah. Yeah. Probably can relate to that. Uh, attended uh, both the University of Denver and Baylor, but, um, yeah. you know, finished up at Baylor and uh, has gone on to uh, – you know, really, really good start to his NBA career. I mean, I think all, already he's done more than you could possibly have expected as an undrafted guy. So, uh, yes, yeah, he's done done very well for himself. So let's talk a little bit about uh, Epe Udo. Now, I know you uh, this guy caught your eye a little bit. Yeah, I really did not know anything about this guy. And he was the number six overall pick in uh, in, in 2010. So, yeah. uh, obviously, was really highly thought of at one point during his career. Known as a as a defensive force. I mean. 
you know, a guy who averaged just uh, 14.8 uh, minutes per game during his career. And I guess his career could still be ongoing. I mean, he's only uh, 33. We joke about that sometimes, but at least he has, you know, it's, it's somewhat plausible. Yeah, I mean, he only retired last year. Exactly. So, I mean, he, he might be back at some point. I know he's played a bunch overseas. I guess he's playing with the uh, Beijing Ducks right now. He's played with Fenerbahce in, uh, in Turkey as well. So some high-level overseas experience, but I think really well-known as, uh, as, as a defensive force. As I mentioned, just 14.8 minutes per game during his career, but 1.1 blocks. So this guy is, is getting his, uh, his, his shot blocks in, known as a rim protector, and I think um, you know, probably didn't really live up to, his, uh, to the, the promise that we had hoped for in the NBA for his career because, I mean, just didn't get that much run when you look at it yeah. uh, in retrospect. But, um, you know, ha- has, been a, has been a high-quality professional overseas, if not yeah. necessarily in the NBA to the same level we are hoping. Mm-hmm. Also wanted to mention uh, Quincy Acey. Now, are uh, you looking into this guy at all? I mean, I know about him. I didn't actually look into him that much because I knew he wouldn't make my team. But I know you don't like him. Yeah, he's one of these classic uh, irritator players. I mean, one of these guys who, you know, kind of is out there to provide hustle and defense. I mean, I, I think of him a lot in, a lot in the same vein as, uh, like, Reggie Evans, who I know we discussed in our uh, Iowa episode. One of these guys who's just, like, He's out there to play, of course, and like out there to, to hustle for sure, but also just like out there to get under your skin and like do whatever, whatever, whatever's required to uh, to you know kind of turn uh, turn the mental game on uh, on the opposition. So, uh, not a guy who who you know shows up a ton here in the stat sheet. I mean, nowhere near the kind of impact that Reggie Evans, for instance, had in the rebounding department. But um, you know, kind of a, a classic uh, pest. Uh, type of player and uh, you know someone who you could plausibly see in the NBA again because uh, obviously you know only, ha- having been on six teams you know there's enough interest in, in it what he does and he's only 29 right now too exactly so you, you might see him again I know he played with uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv uh, most recently but I mean still very much in the flow of uh, professional hoops right now yes uh, finally wanted to mention John Lucas this uh, the son of uh of the great coach John Lucas played both at Baylor and Oklahoma State, where he actually wrapped up his uh, his college career. Yeah, John Lucas III. John Lucas III, yes, exactly. And um, you know, really not not a super notable NBA career, but another one of these guys who uh, you know has hung around for for a long time, despite being a five eleven guard. In his case, I'm sure you know it's useful that he's John Lucas's son, and you know, I mean, being a coach's son, you have all kinds of insight into the into the game and connections and stuff like that that uh, you know make. You know, could potentially be be useful to uh, to a, a team at, at whatever level you're talking about, but uh, you know, I appreciate these guys who uh, you know put in the put in the hustle into their uh, you know mid to late 30s. I mean, despite never having gotten you know a huge amount of NBA run, you know, just uh, into playing professional basketball. And uh, he was a five eleven guy. That's uh, it's pretty cool. That he managed to do it for as long as he did. So let's compare these uh, these two squads from uh, BYU and Baylor, position by position, as we do. We'll start at center where we've got BYU's Sean Bradley going up against Baylor's Brian Skinner. Who you got there? Um, yeah, Sean Bradley. Yeah, I think uh, I certainly agree with that. Sean Bradley hitting much higher heights than uh, Brian Skinner ever did. So that puts BYU up one nothing. At uh, power forward, we've got Jim Eakins from BYU going up against contemporary player, power forward, Torian Prince of Baylor. Yeah, I'm going to go with Torian Prince. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, certainly more to dream on with uh, Torian Prince. I don't see a lot of production coming out of Jim Eakins at this point in his career. Uh, so that, that will even it up at 1-1. Let's go to a uh, small forward where we've got Mel Hutchins, a little bit out of position from uh, BYU, going up against Terry Teagle from uh, Baylor. You got to go Mel Hutchins. Yeah, this guy was a four-time All-Star. I agree, a much more accomplished, decorated player. Also, he knows Kiki Vandaway. I don't know if Terry Teagle can say the same. Uh, well, they probably can. They probably knew each other, NBA players. Uh, but yeah, Mel Hutchins there at uh, at BYU, putting BYU up two to one. That's at, at uh, shooting guard. This is probably our, our juiciest matchup. Where we've got uh, BYU's Danny Ainge and Baylor's Vinny Johnson, the microwave. I want to go with Vinny Johnson. Oh yeah, we're going to go with Vinny Johnson, of course. Uh, Danny Ainge, a very impressive player in his own right, but I think uh, I, I would go Vinny Johnson as well. Uh, both guys won NBA titles, important parts of NBA title teams. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so going Vinny Johnson there, and that's going to even things up at two to two. Going into the, par- the point guard matchup where we've got Jimmer Fredette of uh, BYU going up against uh, B- uh, Baylor's David Wesley. Uh, David Wesley. 
Yeah, you got to go David Wesley there, a much more accomplished uh, professional player than Jimmer Fredette. But Jimmer Fredette, much better college player. Yes. You got to give him credit for that. But uh, yeah, David Wesley uh, puts Baylor over the top, and they win uh, more of these matchups and take a 3-2 edge. Is that how you see it would uh, see it playing out if they uh, got on the court? For sure. I think it would destroy. Yeah, I think the guard play – I don't know if – I'm not sure if I would say destroy. I mean, I think the bigs are clearly better for BYU, and the – Smalls are clearly better for Baylor. I mean, Danny Ainge accepted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think it'd be an interesting matchup. I mean, I, I would probably take Baylor as well, but, I mean, you know, the – I don't know. You might you might, might be able to get some get somewhere with, uh, with the, the uh, you know, Bradley, Eakins, Hutchins front line and uh, Danny Ainge, you know, on the ball, that kind of thing. Jim Riffer, that's scoring. I don't know. I can maybe talk myself into BYU, but it's, uh, it, it's pretty close between these schools. Mm-hmm. Now we're back to uh, talk about where we're at in the Western Conference playoffs right now. We'll uh, yes. talk about quickly uh, some of the series that have concluded in the first round or all the series that have concluded in the first round and then uh, set up where we're at and our expectations for the series that are ongoing here in the second round. So let's yep. let's get this started by talking about Lakers and Blazers. What would you see there? Yeah, I mean, Blazers won game one, uh, Lakers lost. Lakers won game two, game three, game four, game five, game six. I mean, game five. <laughs> yeah, no need for a game six. Yeah, Lakers, I think, easily took care of business. I mean, Dame getting injured in game four was big. Absolutely, and he missed game five completely. Uh, yeah. You know, watched down the end of that game five, despite uh, seeming like a done deal for the uh, for the Lakers. Really pretty impressive performance by the, by the Blazers. They were hanging in there late uh, without Dame but ultimately just overmatched. I mean, it was impressive seeing them win that first game. I mean, that was a good job by them not getting swept, I think, in this situation, having made the playoffs and going up against a clearly more talented team. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was was a walk for the the Lakers ultimately. Yeah, I mean, actually, LeBron averaged a triple-double in that series. Pretty great. Pretty great. I mean, mean, yeah. I mean, 27.4 points per game, 10.2 rebounds a game, and 10.2 assists per game. Yeah, vintage LeBron, and he was doing it in 33 minutes a game, too. So, I mean, you know, able, able to keep their foot off the gas during that series and uh, pr- pretty uh, straightforward win for the for the Lakers. For sure. Who was your uh, series MVP there? Um, LeBron. Yeah, I'll take him, too, even though Anthony Davis also had a fantastic series, averaging sure. almost 30 points per game. Let's uh, let's move on to uh, to the second of these series, uh, which is the uh, Clippers, the number two seed against the uh, number seven seed Mavericks, and there were some fireworks in this one. For sure. I mean, the Luca Lazarator, I mean, that was really nice. I mean, oh, just a, a classic in game four. I mean, you know, certainly if you haven't seen that. I, mean, I was watching it live. Yeah, it was pretty wonderful. We, we did get to watch that one live, and uh, it was it was glorious. One, one of the great shots, great moments of this postseason so far. Yeah, I just do want to mention about the OG and Nobi well, let, let, let's get to that. Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely classic as well. I, I totally agree. That was one of the great moments as well. Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, the Luca buzzer beater, but, like, it was a good series, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it went to six. I mean, the Mavericks got two games from this uh, incredibly talented Clippers squad. I think it, it bodes well for the future. I mean, this is just the beginning of Doncic in the playoffs. Obviously, Porzingis missing for uh, the back half of the series as well, so yeah. really, you know, doing it at less than full strength. And uh, Luca's performance during the series, I mean, really – Remarkable. I mean, this guy is his first uh, his first playoff series, and I mean, the numbers he was able to compile. We just mentioned LeBron's, but Luca thirty one points per game, nine point eight rebounds per game, eight point seven assists per game across the series. Yeah. Phenomenal wanna, stuff. I just want to mention Kawhi thirty two point eight points per game, ten point two rebounds per game, and five point two assists per game, two point three steals per game. So well said, Mills, because, I mean, it really is easy to forget about how great Kawhi is in the midst of Luka's uh, brilliance. Also, he was the leader for the Clippers in points, rebounds, assists, and steals. Very, very impressive work out of Kawhi. Who would you give the MVP to in that series? I'm Kawhi. Yeah, I think he got to. I mean, his team uh, came out on top more often, but uh, super, super impressive work for Luka Doncic. we got to... For sure. Got to throw that out there. Um, let's get to uh, to the next of these uh, series. We'll talk about Nuggets Jazz. This one went all the way down to the wire. I mean, they all, um, Mike Conley almost had a buzzer beater to win it. 
Yeah, I mean, it really did come all the way down to that. So just down to the final seconds, this an incredible series. I mean, like the scoring exploits out of Jamal Murray and uh, Donovan Mitchell. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, 57 points in the first game. Then a little bit of a break for both of them. Then going to game five. Um, I think it was game five. Jamal Murray, 50. Game six, Jamal. No, this is game four. Um, Jamal Murray, 50. Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray, 51. Jamal Murray, 42. Jamal Murray, 50. Yeah, some outrageous, outrageous scores in, in this uh, series by these individuals. Donovan Mitchell averaging 36.3 points per game, and Jamal Murray at 31.6. Amazing stuff out of those guys. For sure. I mean, ridiculous. Spectacular series overall, really. I mean, you know, coming all the way down uh, down to the final moments. Sure. And uh, I really think it could have gone either way. Yeah. I mean, for, for obvious reasons, I guess, if it came all the way down to the uh, to the final moments. It's the Nuggets advancing, and uh, we'll, we'll get to uh, where they're at in the, in the series against the Clippers uh, momentarily after we wrap up the, the, the final of these first-round series. But, Which also came right down to the wire. Exactly. So let's let's transition right into that. Although, who would you have as your uh, series MVP of that uh, that Nuggets Jazz series? Um, Jamal Murray probably, but I think it could be Don Mitchell, even though they didn't win. Yeah, he was spectacular in the series. I mean, you know, consider both Donovan Mitchell and uh, Jamal Murray shot over fifty percent on threes. Donovan Mitchell, that's on sixty-four attempts. He was thirty-three for sixty-four from three, and Jamal Murray. 32 of 60. I mean, think of the shooting. <laughs> the shooting display these guys put on. It's yeah. truly incredible. I mean. I'll give it to Jamal Murray because his team yeah. came out on top, but Same. it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Nikola Jokic was uh, uh, 22 for 46 from three as well. So, I mean, the, the shooting uh, on display in the series was outrageous. All right, let's get to uh, to the, the the final of these uh, these first round series, which is Rockets Thunder. The Rockets coming out on top in a very close game seven battle. Tell us a little bit about what went on here. Yeah, the James Harden block and the Russ steal. I mean, huge, huge down the stretch, but also I mean the the defense of uh, of Lou Dort throughout the series. I mean, a real factor against uh, James Harden and uh, quite a battle. I mean, you know, the Rockets taking those first two games. It looked like. Uh, you know, it might be a, a more straightforward series than uh, than it ended up being. Yes. That game five as well, where the Rockets won by 34 points. It seemed like, okay, maybe Rockets are just going to finish this up. We're going to, you know, be all set here in six. Nope. Thunder get off the mat again. They win in game six. And they won game three and game four. Yeah. yeah of course. I mean, to, to, to make any, any of that stuff relevant, they needed to, but Chris Paul, I mean, really outstanding. I mean, for me, really fun to get a chance to see him as the focal point on another good playoff team in a real battle. I mean, him at age 34, still playing at just such a high level. For sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, just super good. I mean, yeah, 21.3 points per game from the series. Seven and a half rebounds. I mean, this is this is Chris Paul. I mean, he's the shortest guy on the court most of the time. I mean, but you know, he's also the craftiest. You know, I mean, like yeah. one of the smartest players of all time. And you know, getting his uh, garbage foul drawing game. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. in, in full effect. I mean, you know, working the refs. I mean, such a political guy out there, and uh, really did everything he could to uh, extend this series for as long as possible and try to push his team to the next round. But um, the Rockets just had a little bit more in this series. Yeah. I mean, it came down to two points. It really did. So, who is your MVP of uh, of this series? Um, James Harden. It's got to be James Harden. I, I agree, but I mean, you know, this te this team wor has worked really hard together. They got Russell Westbrook back in this series as well. Worth yes. noting, uh, and that's obviously going to be relevant to uh, the conversation of uh, their series against the uh, against the Lakers, which we should get to right now. So. Um, yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about where we are in the second round here. Obviously, we're underway here in the second round. The uh, Lakers and, uh, and and Rockets getting started last night, and the Rockets uh, jumping out on top to start it off. Yeah, I still think the Lakers are going to win this. I will, I'm going to say in six, but I think it's going to be a pretty close games. Yeah, I'm actually going to go. I mean, I, I took the Rockets in, uh, when we were talking about this uh, series before the playoffs started. I think I'm going to go back to. I'm going to stick with the Rockets here. I'm going to take the Rockets in seven. I mean, I I, I fluctuated on this quite a bit because I really thought the Lakers looked good there in the uh, in the first round, but they were going up against a, you know a much much weaker defensive team, and the Rockets are really hitting on all cylinders right now. 
Yeah, but like um, they lost the first game and they also have LeBron, so. It's true. I'm going to feel stupid picking against LeBron with uh, with James Harden. I mean, he's he's really come up at the end of uh, of Game Seven there, and 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 in this first game, I mean, he played he played fantastic, especially in the first half. But uh, yeah, I'm probably going to end up feeling silly on that one. Yeah, I mean, they lost the first game in that first round. Yeah, and it wasn't a problem. I, I just think that the the way they lost this one was, you know, fairly. I mean, they lost by 15. They lost fairly decisively, and I mean, the Rockets looked really good in stifling what the uh, Lakers are trying to do on offense. And I think it's really going to come down to can the Lakers hit some threes. I mean, in this this game they were okay. I mean, eleven out of uh, out of thirty eight in that first uh, this first game. But I think you know, we'll have to see. I mean, it's, it's only twenty nine percent. So if they're shooting at that kind of a clip against the Rockets, they're gonna they're gonna be giving up a lot of points at the three point line. For sure. Uh, so let's 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 wrap let's wrap up this uh, this second round uh, discussion by getting into Nuggets Clippers. The Nuggets getting off the mat last night with a really, really impressive victory, uh, holding on to beat the uh, Clippers by nine after getting out to a really big lead in the first half. They were up by uh, you know twenty plus points. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what are your thoughts on this one as, uh, as as we're sitting here prior to Game Three coming up tomorrow as we record? Yeah, I think um, I think the Clippers are going to win this, but I think it's going to go to six. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, I, I w- might have said sweep after game one. I mean, it looked like the Nuggets were pretty dead. I mean, they lost by 23 points, 120 to 97. But, you know, these guys are, I'm sure, exhausted. I'm sure, like, you know, getting their feet under them a little bit, getting more comfortable in the matchup and, you know, being able to make some adjustments is helping. And, you know, look, I mean, they, they shot really, really well last night. And, you know, they're going to need to keep doing that to win games in this series. But they are capable of it. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you can count out uh, the possibility of them winning another game in this series. I would either take them in, take the Clippers in five or in six. I think I'm going to join you in, and take them in six, give the Nuggets the uh, the credit that they could get another one here. Yes. Uh, so, all right, so we have uh, we have ourselves on the record here for uh, how we see uh, the second round playing out. So uh, at the end of this uh, longest ever episode of uh, Barnard's on the NBA, really? let's, uh, l- l- let's sign out here. Yeah, if you're enjoying, please leave a rating, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, we're uh, just about everywhere, any platform you would look for or listen to uh, podcasts on now, whether that's uh, Podknife or Listen Notes or uh, Breaker or Anchor or, I mean, a whole bunch of different places that you might be looking for us. Uh, please uh, leave a rating and review, as Emilio mentioned. It helps with uh, visibility. And uh, we'll uh, very much look forward to uh, to seeing you back here next time. If you want to find us on uh on Twitter, you can reach us at uh, Barnards on NBA, or you can write to us, uh, email us at Barnards on the NBA at gmail.com. Um, bye.